Um, turn in Second Timothy. <clears throat> this is um, so. So I've been processing this scripture for a while, and uh, kind of thinking, you know, what I want to do here, and and uh, I have a couple messages that I'll probably do in the future, but I was going to do with this, and, I, and I, the more I got to thinking about it, the more I would like to um, do it here on Wednesday night because we can talk about it more. We can discuss it and and uh, break it down. And and there's um, there's another passage of, passage of Scripture that I, I want to do on a Wednesday night, probably in a few weeks. Um, but... Uh, but I've been processing it because there's there's a there's a part of it that I know there's more there than what like normal uh, commentaries and stuff include, and uh, and this is the same way. There's some really good stuff here that I think if we if we process and dig down a little bit, I think there's some extra stuff that can be found in these things that 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 um, add richness and understanding to the to the uh, whole context of the scripture. And so, so let's, we're just going to go through the second chapter, hopefully through, um, at least through the first fo- uh, 14 verses, verses, which is like the first part. Um, I, again, this is one of the places in scripture where I, I don't necessarily like the fact that they put this into a different category. Starting in verse 15, it's like another section. Um, depending on how your Bible is, most, most New Testaments nowadays make this a, Verse 15, like the second section, and it's a different part of that, and I don't necessarily think that's, I don't think it does it justice to do that. Um, And you'll see as we kind of build up into this. So, um, uh, I did, uh, I I did want to uh, mention, you know, I I briefly mentioned this Sunday, and just want you to be thinking about this, that... um, the things that are going on right now in our nation, you know, we could name 50 things right now that are just like beyond the pale, things that we just never expected to happen and how they're unfolding and what's happening. And and uh, a lot of what our, our uh, Congress is doing right now seems to be just they're all playing like um, lawyers right now. They're all... Every single day, it seems like they're questioning somebody else, and they're and they're questioning government officials. When you broke the law here, when you did this, and it's just it's just craziness. This is we're in a new place in our country, and you know, I always hear the arguments. Well, you know, it's just politics as usual. Um, that th- that's not where we are right now. This is not politics as usual. This is this is um, uh, transforming mindsets. I just saw a great documentary a couple days ago on the Great Reset and talking about a lot of the World Economic Forum and, and the thing that's coming along with this and gave, and, and gave very, very specific detailed information about all of this. And it's kind of frightening to, to know that there are a handful of, of uh, very, very wealthy world influencers out there that have basically taken it upon themselves to, as they say publicly, to fundamentally change the world, to fundamentally change the world. And basically what they're doing is wanting to have a worldwide Marxist control of our country, which means a handful of people control the whole thing, which is always the interesting thing about 
um, Marxism or or, um, or uh, communism or really any of the isms, but you always have to have a few smarter than everybody else people to uh, control all the lemmings that are the population. There's always a handful of people. They know better than everybody else. They get it. And so you, you must just go along because you are not smart enough and you're not elite enough and you're not wealthy enough and all the whatever the things. And so they just make all your decisions for you. And the, and the big push right now with the World Economic Forum is that, that nobody on the planet needs to own property. You'll be happier if you don't own property. Which is interesting because property will be owned by them. That's the point. You'll be happy if you don't have property. Because we'll have it all and we'll just tell you what to do. And, and, and here's the thing. You take uh, Rob and Brooke's generation. They are, they are just eating this up. Give us, just give us a place to live and make it a little bit cheaper. And as long as I have all my gadgets and all my stuff, I don't need to own property. I don't need to, I don't need to push forward. I don't need to do that. But here's the trick with that is owning property changes you as an individual within the context of society. You become a different person when you own a piece of that uh, real estate within your uh, local culture and the larger culture. Because now all of a sudden a lot of different things make sense to you. A lot of different things are important to you that didn't used to be important. One is protecting that little parcel of land. And there's where the problem comes. That's where it lies. And so, all right. So, 2 Timothy chapter 2. This kind of actually deals with that a little bit, but just a little bit. So, Linda went out of town <clears throat> early Monday morning to the, to the kids' camp. And I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks. Uh, one of my favorite things is, is um, beans. I like beans, just pinto beans. And um, I like them. And Linda, Linda's family um, grew up on beans. She doesn't like beans. They, they were fairly poor, specifically when she was little, and they had beans all the time. And she said, I don't like beans. I don't want to eat beans. I ate beans too, too often when I was a kid. I... I think they're a delicacy, and I love beans. So I got to thinking about this, and and uh, Sunday night when she's getting packed and getting ready to go and all that stuff, I, I put um, I started working on a pot of beans, cooked them all day Monday, and that's all I've eaten for the last three days. It's beans. I I love them. I, well, you put that in beans. Um, actually, some of the best beans I've ever had is at Rudy's Barbecue um, over on 24, Iowa 24. And they actually put some of their brisket and some of the burnt fatty parts of their brisket in the beans. That really makes them good. But, um, yeah, I really enjoy beans. And you know what? I enjoy everything about beans. I enjoy the after effects. I, there's everything about it is just... I think God, God's like, you know what? Some people are really going to like this. Yeah. <clears throat> I did have to tell Linda. She, she called Monday night. She said, did you eat your beans? And I said, I did. I said, but I ate way too many beans. 
I was hurting all, all night Monday night. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. This, we're we're going to obviously break this down a little bit, but every single sentence of this to me has very impactful reality in our life and specifically in our lives right now in society. Be strong through the gr- grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. We, I, I think we have to. Again, I, th- I think the church is just, I think the church has just um, got their eyes closed. And I, and I think for the most part, the church is, the, the church is, if we just pretend, if we just pretend like nothing's happening, then maybe nothing's happening. Right? If, if, we, just, if we just don't pay attention to the stuff around us, well, then maybe it's not that big of a deal and, no, and nothing is really happening. And, um, and, and I talk to people all the time like that. And I, and I have seen, now I don't think our church here is, is like that so much. I think we're fairly educated about this stuff and fairly um, um, proactive for the most part about this. But be strong. Why would you need to be strong? Because something is happening. Because something demands that you need strength. Strength for what? Um, to deal with the stuff of society, to deal with the things that are going on. Be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Now, this was written 2,000 years ago. It was, it was much more difficult at that time than what we're dealing with right now. It just is. I, I talked with a, a group of uh, pastors around the world this morning, and um, quite a few of them from all over, and some of them are in areas that are very strong persecution. And I, and I always ask some questions to them, but I was to, to different ones of them, but I was the one speaking this morning. But, um, you know, how's it going here? How's it going there? I talked to our pastor in India uh, fairly regularly about this. There are major parts of India right now that the persecution is getting really bad for Christians, really bad. The area that he's in, it's, it's not. The area where our church in is not um, dangerous or any of that kind of stuff against Christians, but right now it's a little dangerous because they have elections. The elections are happening in two weeks, and elections in India are different than elections here, well, they, than what we used to have. I think we're kind of getting there now. But they're very corrupt, they're very broken, and people get out in the street and beat each other up and kill each other. And then somebody rises from that as elected. Uh, but besides that, there's not persecution against Christians in his area right now. So so we do talk about that, and, and because the area that his family, that her family is in, there is persecution. And, uh, and, and it's just, we, we are getting to where we're being pushed against. In fact, I saw an article, somebody sent me an article today. I don't want, know when it came out, but it was about uh, the spiritual, the spiritual, spirituality, the spiritual temperature of uh, the Colorado House of, of uh, Representatives. Yeah, there's too many Christians per capita compared to the to society. Yeah, that was the point of the article, which was stupid. It, it was actually less. If if I, I sit in the house, I know how Christian some of these people that claim to be Christians are. So I know the Christians are actually underrepresented in the house, not overrepresented, which is the article. And here's the thing: this was a very long article. They put one sentence in there about me. I'm the only pastor 
in the whole house, and they put one sentence in there about me. I should have got more time. They took one quote and then misquoted it. It wasn't what the way I said it. In fact, it wasn't about what I, the way I said it. But, but either way, that's not why I'm bringing it up. It was just the fact that uh, they're saying there's too many Christians in the house compared to statistics of the state of Colorado, and I know that's not true. I sit in it. I know it's not true. They want to spin this. They want to change it. And then they were talking about how different states across the United States, they're having that some of the non-Christian people are pushing back. Um, because there's too, there's too many Christians in, in public office across the United States. Like, no, no, you're wrong, Mark. Yeah. Which is, which was... Yeah. Well, we, we know some of the things, but, but this, was, um, this was the most divided, anti-Christian, dark-against-light um, session in the history of Colorado. Uh, this has been remarked upon by many, many different reporters, news stations, um, political people that have been paying attention to this for 30 years. But this was the most volatile, the most, um, I'm sorry, the most... Um, the, the most rule-breaking and the most corrupt also uh, session in, in the history of the state of Colorado. And we know that the atheist uh, ultra-liberals and all that stuff are making a move to take over the House uh, this next session. That some of the what they consider the moderates, which I consider extreme liberals, uh, were in charge, and they don't want them in charge. They want the ultra, ultra um, crazies in charge, and and some of those people really are. They're crazy. They're they're, they're crazy. And so, um, so just thinking about standing up and being strong, he says, "You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others." This is one of the things that the, the church does not always do well, even in good times, when the church is really clicking well. Sometimes we even miss it then that not only are we supposed to learn the things of the Word of God, but we're supposed to pass these things on. Um, I just scheduled a missionary to be with us. Uh, it's in a few months. And um, they're going to, um, to the uh, French Polynesian Islands. Um, and it really includes all like the Samoan and just all kinds of islands out there. Because 30 years ago, there was a good, strong representation of the church there. But now there's almost no representation of the church. In like Tahiti, um, very, very few churches in Tahiti. Why? Because somewhere, the church stopped being the church. And so this is one of the, 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 the responses is, well, we need to send more missionaries. Okay, I'm okay with that. In fact, we may pick this missionary up that I was talking to when they come to see us. But, um, but here's part of the thing, and I even mentioned it to, to him, was if the missionaries don't go in there understanding the concept of indigenous church and that the body of Christ takes care of itself and propagates the body of Christ, then, then we're, we're, we're wasting our money by sending missionaries there. They don't teach that. If they don't teach you are the body of Christ, you are the church, you are the voice of God, you are the witness, you are the discipler. 
If we don't, if we, if, a, if missionaries go places and they don't do that, uh, there's there's problems there. In fact, one of the the main things I've seen when it comes to assemblies of God, world missions, is um, a, a, a mission. Uh, assemblies of God around the world sending missionaries is the way I want to say it. Uh, the assemblies of God in Canada, when they their concept of missions is they send a missionary to a country and they plant a church and they just begin to pastor a church. Well, somewhere along the line, that's not that's not fitting the biblical model, and that doesn't that doesn't spread very quickly. Uh, when a missionary goes and teaches others how to plant the church, teaches others how to share the gospel, teaches others how to disciple people and train and develop, then you, you have uh, what Paul is talking about here is, um, is that you are teaching others, other trustworthy people, to be able to pass these truths on to others. Endure suffering along with me. I'm going to talk about suffering uh, a little bit Sunday. Well, that's the message Sunday. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Endure suffering. We, I've, I've watched this now for, well, cognitively for probably 45 years, but really processing the church works very hard in America. The church works very hard or has. I think we're kind of getting away from that. But has worked very hard in the past to, to build a theology that says that the more blessed you are and the less hardship you have, the less suffering you have, the better a Christian you are. And that, that just doesn't fit Scripture. Just, just name the top five people in the New Testament, including the, 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 the important one named Jesus, and they all kind of dealt with a lot of suffering. And to say that somehow we have um, graduated, that we have... We have come to a higher level of enlightenment that says that we now are, uh, that we understand that we're, we're more blessed if we have less suffering and less hardship. That's not a biblical concept. <clears throat> Sorry, my, the, the way my diabetes works on me is I get cotton mouth all the time, so I have to drink a lot. And, um, and I had a bunch of peanut brittle right before service started. So I'm going to own this a little bit. It's a little bit on me. A little bit. So. so I've thought about this sitting right here. I hope I pass out that way rather than this way. So. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, you know, in, in one of the songs we sang, talks about being a, a uh, a servant or a slave to Jesus Christ. In one of the in one of the uh, committees that uh, I presented a bill having to do with um, with uh, an anti-abortion bill. It had to do with uh, a chemical abortion, the abortion pill, and uh, and the the immediate if they change their mind, you can actually give them progesterone and. And that that will um, potentially and oftentimes works uh, saves the baby's life. And and now we've made that illegal. And now I just had a I had a Zoom meeting two weeks ago, listening to the uh, Colorado um, uh, Board of Health. I think is what it's called or something like that. What is that? 
called the Medical Board of Health of Colorado or something. It's the state. Some I don't know. So it's the group of it's the group of people in the state of Colorado that are looking at this bill and trying to figure out how to work this through in, into the hospitals and the medical system of Colorado because now basically what they've done is they've said progesterone is illegal. Although we use progesterone in all kinds of stuff. And now because you have a couple boneheaded uh, representatives that make this a law, now the Health uh, Association of Colorado, all of the, the, um, the medical people in Colorado have to figure out what to do with this stupid law. Because a lot of women take progesterone on a regular basis. In, in fact, there's different stages of life for a woman. And, um, and, and just as looking at it from the male side of this, uh, you, you f first you have to deal with a pregnant woman and the things that come along with that. Am I right, Rob? And, uh, <laughs> and, and then you have to deal with all the stuff of a younger woman, and then all of a sudden a woman becomes older and goes to menopause, and then you have to deal with all the stuff of that. I'm saying it's hard being a man married to a woman. And then, and then the only thing that keeps everybody in the house kind of sane and happy is progesterone when she gets older. And so now they're trying to take this away from me, and I'm not okay with this. So there, I explained it. That's, that's mansplaining right there. So, but uh, we talk about this, this in this bill. We're talking about being a servant of Christ. And this, this girl, about 14, 15 years old girl, gets up to testify. And um, uh, I, think, I think she was Korean, but she gets up to testify and uh, we've got a couple of, of uh, representatives up there that are so, so um, strong. I mean, foaming at the mouth, strong about we will kill babies and you will not stand in our way. And if you stand in our way, in fact, I, she was actually in that article quoted. And she said, yeah, um, the definition of a politician is an old prejudiced white guy. That was her statement. I was like, well, I am two of those. <laughs> I'll let you figure out which two. But, um, but then processing this, this girl gets up and says, hello, my name is so-and-so, and, and I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. And this representative went nuts. She didn't, she didn't like stop the proceedings or everything, but she stood up and she was looking around going, ah, 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 because this girl said she was a slave of Christ, and for her, this representative, that was deeply offensive that this girl, and I know the way she was processing, this girl has been so manipulated and so controlled that she actually calls herself a slave. And she, ha she has no idea what that girl was saying at that moment. She had no idea that one of the greatest things you could ever say is quoting Paul and saying, I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. It's one of the greatest statements I believe a human being can make. The same way that we see this here is Paul is t telling Timothy, be a good soldier for Jesus Christ. What is being a good soldier? Well, I'm actually going to explain some of that on Sunday, but I do want to look at a little bit of it here. Soldiers don't get tied up with the affairs of civilian life. Well, obviously, he's using, he's doing a, a, um, a double meaning through this whole little set of scripture right here, right? 
He's talking about physical, earthly concept of a soldier and civilian life, but you understand he's not talking about the physical here. He's telling Timothy something that has spiritual ramifications. A soldier doesn't get tied up with the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. What, who is the officer that Paul is talking about here? This is God. That if I'm a good soldier, it, is, it should be my priority to be more interested in pleasing God than it is the things of this world, the stuff of this world. Then I've got to figure out how to be a good soldier, keep my focus upon my commanding officer and what he needs me to do, what he wants me to do. That can be a little challenging in today's society when you say, well, I'm a, I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. What does that mean? My life is not my own. It belongs to Jesus. And I've got to be careful that I don't let other things um, impede upon that or hinder that or, or conflict with the fact that my, my God, my Redeemer, my owner, the person who owns my soul and my existence, that I'm serving Him and not something or somebody else. He says, athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. Well, what are these athletes competing in and what are the rules? Who defines the rules? Again, this is a God thing. You're an athlete playing the game that God has given us. Or the way that Paul actually says it is the race that the Lord has called us to, that we're running the race. And that we are an athlete in this race. So, so how do you run this race? What are the rules of this race? Well, here's the, here's the good starting point to think about um, the rules of the race. If you're making the rules, you're not running God's race. Okay? I, I used to, to um, try to explain this to my kids. When they would, they would play a game. Well, for example, when Isaac taught Emily how to play chess... He just made stuff up. He had no intention of teaching her real chess. Um, he wanted to make sure that all the rules made sure he won. And then also someday when she sat down to play chess with somebody, she had no idea what the real wor- rules were, but she thought she did because he taught her. And I remember uh, sitting there, and it, you know, kind of in the back of my head, I hear this going on, Right? Then it dawned on me, there's not one thing that boy is saying that's true. Well, well here's the thing. He said, but, Dad, I'm, I'm teaching her my, my kind of chess. I said, then call it something else because it's no longer chess. Right? If you, if you make up the rules, it's no longer whatever it is the game is. It's call it something else. But it's not chess. It's the same way with the, with the race that God has called us to run. If you make up the rules, it's no longer God's race that you're running. You're running your own race. Call it what you want. But it's no longer God's. If God makes the rules, then it's His. Where do we get those rules? The Word of God. There is, there is a huge attack. I mean, there always has been. But it's getting really strong right now in society 
that the Bible is no longer um, important. The Bible is no longer true. The Bible is no longer relevant. And that uh, don't, don't bring your Bible here because I don't care. And then within the body of Christ, we're changing the Bible like crazy to fit our own plans. I, I had this um, fairly long conversation uh, yesterday, actually, with some of the uh, people from um, uh, Turning Point USA, which is uh, Charlie Kirk's group. They'd come down to meet with myself and, and, and some other representatives. And, and uh, we, we, were, we were discussing some of this, and they were talking about how how that one of the big problems that they're having, because they have a faith arm of TPUSA, and that's who, who we're interacting with, and I've been interacting with them for about a year and a half. And, um, and they're explaining the big, the big problem they're having right now is going into churches, and churches actually seeing the Bible as the priority. So they're going to have a Bible study about um, some kind of... Um, uh, a political concept or something like that, but looking at it from the biblical point of view, the founding of our nation, the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, looking at it from a biblical point of view, and the struggle that they're having is, is, is a lot of churches they're going into, first, they're not interested, and second, they, they don't really want the Bible to be brought into looking at some of this stuff. They don't see the Bible as being important. These are churches, evangelical churches. Um, and they just don't see the Bible as the guide rule. It's, it's, um, it's strange. And I asked them, I said, do you, do you go to, the, to services with these people? Do you, do you sit in, um, do you go to the churches and sit in the churches? They said, yeah, that's our job. For, for, to do this with TP, TPUSA, that's our job is we go to the church services and then we talk with their leaders or whoever they set up to talk with us, and this is what we do. And I said, when you're sitting in these churches and they're telling you that um, the Bible is not the priority, what are, they, what are they preaching? They said, well, they'll open the Bible and, and talk from the Bible, but the Bible is not the, the Bible is like a one of the many leadership um, self-help mentalities being used. You guys, that's dangerous. Well, it's not, it's not just dangerous. You're no longer the church. You're writing your own rules. You're not, you're not running the race that God has called you to run. You're running something else. Athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. Hardworking farmers should, first, should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. What does that mean? Somebody explain that. Hardworking farmers should be first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Did the work of what? Okay, so you get the you know the first bite of tomato, or something, right? Okay, so what is that? How Paul is applying this in a spiritual sense to us? What is he saying here? The first two, he's obviously talking about God and God's plan. So the third one is not different. It's the same. He's talking about God's plan. So what does that mean?
Okay, yeah. So, so this is, this is um, in the book of John, but it talks about that the fruit of the harvest is souls brought into the kingdom. Okay, that's the fruit of the harvest. So let's kind of break that down, and let's not limit it to, to, um, to somebody getting saved. Let's broaden it out a little bit. But, but the, the, the central focus is actually somebody getting saved. But when we're preaching the message of the gospel, what are, give me one-word answers, maybe four or five answers. These, these are the one-word answers of what the gospel is. When you're telling somebody about Jesus, it's about what? What is salvation? Forgiveness? Okay. Forgiveness? God's love? That's two words, but love? Redemption? Repentance? Life? What would you say, Barry? Freedom? Yeah, if you remember, I've said this three or four times in the last couple months. The message is that one of the things that I'm really focusing in now lately when it comes to witnessing to people is um, peace, God's peace, comfort in our souls, peace. So you take all these things we've said, if you're preaching the gospel and living the gospel out, you get the first fruits or you get the first bite of the tomato of grace, love, forgiveness, Peace, freedom, you get the first fruits of that. You, you get to benefit from the understanding that you are preaching first. You get to benefit when you're talking to somebody about forgiveness, you get to benefit from that first. Okay, this, this is a, a very simplistic explanation of this, but I think it helps us understand. When I'm preparing messages and, and and um, studying the Bible and looking at things to preach, I get the benefit of that long before it becomes a message. Long before I, I uh, speak it out, I'm benefiting from that stuff. Now, one of the benefits uh, also, and you have to kind of take this into consideration, one of the benefits is conviction. And I don't see it as a negative. I really do see it as a benefit. It's just not a happy benefit. It's not a, ooh, I'm enjoying this benefit. But uh, conviction is always good because it always grows you and develops you, makes you less of you and more of Christ in the process, Al. Yeah, um, <clears throat> you know, I've been I've been uh, really praying through a lot of stuff uh, over the last few, quite a few weeks. I, I would say the week or two after we finished the session in the house, uh, the Lord really been con- began to convict me of a couple of things that that basically this is the way I I hear God saying this to me is um, you need to get these right next session, right. Gave you a little grace this time because you're a rookie. But uh, you, need, you need to get these right. And one of the biggest is uh, my attitude needs to be better, right. It needs to be good going into the Capitol. Because 
it was, I, I think I would literally preferred a colonoscopy than going into the cafe every day. Um, I, I just, I didn't, I didn't want to go in there. It wasn't pleasant. It was um, agonizing. Well, there's only so much I, of that I can blame on the moment and the people and the atmosphere and everything else. If God is, is uh, you know, 1 John 4, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. And then um, if, if, if this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it, that's a choice. And if I'm not rejoicing and being glad in it, then that's me. It's not, the, it's not my environment. And I can put a bunch of stuff together that the Lord's really been convicting me about and some other things that are kind of auxiliary of that. And just really like regularly convicting me of this, regularly convicting me. And I've got a couple messages that I'm going to develop out of this. I can already tell um, these are going to be some messages that come out of this. Because, again, I don't want to have to do this by myself. I like you to also uh, be miserable in the things of God. And so... So we'll, we'll do this as a group later. But, um, but it is. It's convicting me. And I don't necessarily like that. But I get, I get it. And I understand God needs to do this with me. Right? I, I'm at least mature enough in my relationship with God to recognize that a lot of what God is doing with me nowadays is about other people. It's not necessarily about me. And I can kind of do my own thing and I'll be just fine. But then there's this crazy thing called community where you actually have to look other people in the face and you have to deal with them. And God needs me to grow up in some areas because I just don't like the people in Denver. So I have to change that, right? Right? So we have to, we have to work on that kind of stuff, Al. Yeah, there's, there's only a handful of people in all of Paul's writings where you can tell Paul was very irritated with these people. Like three or four, max. And how many people does he come across? Some of them stoned him to, stoned him to death, but he didn't, and then God rose him from the dead. He didn't say anything about them. He didn't complain about them for the next three months. Which... If you, look, if you listen to my messages, I've been doing that some. Doing that a lot. And uh, there's a difference between saying, this is what happened, and, oh, woe is me, these people are picking on me so much. God's like, oh, enough already. Right? Haven't you ever felt like God said that to you? Oh, my goodness, grow up. Put, put your, your big boy britches on. You know? I don't like it when God does that, but I'm always better for it. So verse 7, think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all of these things, which lets us know they're spiritual statements, not just physical statements. <laughs> He's still drinking. So who he's talking about is the uh, Speaker of the House. And she really uh, didn't like me and, and, made, and picked on me quite a bit. Um, I, I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. If I say it enough. <laughs> no, you know, here's the thing is I really don't dislike her. In fact, I feel sorry for her most of the time. 
There's, we were talking about this with this, with some of the political stuff I was having that meeting yesterday. There's some people in the, in the, some legislators in that house that are so completely broken and every single time they get up and speak, it's a cry for help. And it's very obvious, blatant cry for help. Now, when you go talk to them, because we have, a handful of us have, um, they're very resistant to it and they call you names and and I'm not, that's not hyperbole. They really do call me names, um, lots of names, to my face while I'm trying to help them. But, uh, but they're crying out for help. And it's, you know, as a Christian, it's my responsibility to see that and let that rule over my feelings toward them or any of the other stuff. Al? I have said that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been called into the office, uh, which is really a goofy thing. It's just, but either way, I've been called into the office by the Speaker of the House four, four times. Um, and basically, her goal was to dress me down, severely to reprimand me, um, and tell me how wrong I am in everything. But it's hard for her to do that when I keep saying, no, I disagree with you. I spoke truth, and you're speaking lies right now. It's, it's, they, really, they really get mad when you say that. I mean, they get foaming at the mouth um, to the point where, where I've been screamed at. Um, two different meetings that just sat, it just sat and screamed at me until they were done, and I actually asked the Speaker of the House after she yelled at me for about 10 minutes. And uh, I said, are you finished? She said, yeah, and I said, am I allowed to speak? She thought I meant out on the floor, and she said, yes, you can say anything you want out there, although the reason she yelled at me is because I had said something out there. But um, I said, can I speak now? And uh, she said, yeah. And I said, you're wrong about everything you said. You can say whatever you want. You can call me names. You can yell at me. You can do everything, but you're wrong, and I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change, and I don't apologize for what I said because what I said was true. And that, that was the one after my, uh, your, your, you guys are being fascist speech. The only Sunday morning I missed, um, that, was the, that was what I spoke there. So, Yeah, it's such a weird place. You, you, to find moments where you can actually speak life and kindness and peace and something into their existence is very, very rare. Because they're too busy attacking you, constantly attacking you for every little thing. Um, just constantly. So. He says, and re always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. That's what we're supposed to be preaching is that Jesus was raised from the dead. And Jesus is, is God in human flesh, and he died for us, was raised from the dead, and that provides our salvation and our relationship, reconciliation with God the Father. That's what we're preaching. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Anything else is a different gospel. That's, that's how real it is. It's a different gospel. I think I mentioned this, but one of the, I wasn't planning on talking about the house this much, but one of the representatives, she's one of the most broken. She's one of the, I think she is, the, from my experience, the most 
uh, the strongest when it comes to a cry for help when she gets up to speak. She is so broken. And she tells us about her, her history and her past and her, and her brokenness and her abuse and all the abortions she has. She says this stuff in the well. And, um, and she got up one time, and, and I, had, I had been up to speak earlier and was talking about how, how people can be redeemed, and we need to look at people as being redeemable instead of to be thrown away. Because it's the weird thing is the, the Democrats talk about how they're all about the people, but they throw the people away. That, that's the weird part. I'm about the person as long as they can do something for me, but when they're not, we throw them away. And, um, and so I gave this speech about that I look at this differently. I believe that people are redeemable because why? Jesus created us and wants to redeem us, and I'm a redeemable person. You're, and, and nobody interrupted me. Nobody said anything, and I gave a little sermon there about Jesus loves us and, and we're redeemable. And uh, she got up. It was a couple days later, but you could tell by the way she was talking it was about that. And she gets up and she says, let me tell you something. She said, there's something called the gospel or the God spell, and that's German. She had done her homework. That's German for um, good news. And she was right about all this. She, that's good news. She said, um, the gospel is the good news. So let me tell you the gospel. This is, this is the gospel, the good news that I'm going to tell you. And she begins to explain how... Um, it's important that we, these are not the terms she used. In fact, she hates this term, but this is why we groom little children so that they can be um, transgender and have surgeries as 12-year-old girls. And she said probably 10 times, this is the true gospel. This is the true good news from Jesus, that, that these girls need to have the freedom, to, or these children need to have the freedom to choose their own gender, and all this other stuff. Um, guys, unless it is Jesus Christ came to save us because we are sinners and make us right with God through his blood, it's a different gospel. And it's not the gospel. And by the way, that goes across the board in, in church mentalities. Churches can preach something that is a different gospel. It happens. It happens happens all the time. <clears throat> because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal, but the word of God cannot be chained. You can chain the person, but you can't change the gospel. And here's something else, and I think we know this intuitively, but we've never been to the point where we're being chained up for our relationship with Christ, so it's hard to, um, we have to take from stories like in the Bible and in history of examples like this. But even though you can imprison the person and chain the person, you, th that the only thing you're chaining is the physical. The, the spiritual person inside is still alive and has hope and has purpose in Christ, not in, not in their, their physical freedom, but in their spiritual freedom. This, I, this is a very important distinction and understanding what that looks like. Why? Because there's different places in our life when we're, when we're, when we're not as free physically as we'd like to be, but you're still free inside. I thought about this one of the times when I was in China. I don't even remember what city I was in. We landed in the airport, and we were going to be flying out to another airport. It was Nur, Dr. Nur and I, and, and, um, and they never looked twice at, at Nur. 
right? Because he's uh, from India, and he's Indian, and they don't, and they're not a concern to them. But, um, you know, I'm a middle-aged, good-looking white guy, and, uh, and they're, uh, they're, <laughs> they're really focusing on me. They, they would, and they would pull me aside and start questioning me. One time they took me in this room, and I was there for an hour. They questioned me, and then they'd leave for 10 minutes, come back and question me. Same questions, leave again. And After about an hour, I thought to myself, I am going to jail in China. And I, I knew I didn't need a reason to go to jail, right? I literally thought that, and for the first time in my life, I'm, I'm literally thinking about these kind of sentences all through Scripture and thinking to myself, okay, am I going to be a Paul and Silas singing in the jail, right? I, don't, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking I could, but I wasn't making that assumption. Oh, you're Paul and Silas for the first week, right? Like, ah, let me out here, I'm a political prisoner. Ah, oh, get, get word to my wife. You know, that kind of thing. Because you don't want her to be mad coming to China. But, but just to think that through and to think, what would it be to really be in chains for Jesus? We're not there yet in America. I mean, we're getting there on a very fast train that direction. But we're not there yet. But there are people around the world that are. And what does that mean? But the Word of God cannot be chained so I'm willing, he's making a choice, so I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. These are great statements. Man, these are powerful. If we deny him, he will deny us. That's just as, as powerful, but in a sobering sense. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. And that's, that's, the, that's like the, the proof of the everything. Even with everything, if we, if, we, if we fall and we're unfaithful, he's still faithful to us. For he cannot deny who he is. Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. I love how this is how he is kind of bringing this little part to, to um, uh, a, uh, he's, he's summing it. He's, he's, um, he's explaining it and kind of wrapping it up here. But the way he does all of this, he's, he says, remind everything about all these things, the suffering, standing for Christ, being a good soldier, you know, all these other things. And then the second half of that sentence is, and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. What do, you, what do you think he means there? Ideas? All the stuff he talks about, he says, the way we're going to do this is we're going to um, stop fighting over words. When, when you're put into a major pressure situation, when you're, when you're going through great tragedy, all of the little arguments that you used to have just don't seem that important anymore, right? 
I, um, I've, I've sat with many people over the years that um, their, their family member was killed, um, died from some different thing or whatever. And one of the things that they talk about is, you know, the last time I ever, specifically if it's a tragedy, the last time I ever said anything to him, I said this. And when it's a tragedy or, or a horrible circumstance, you almost have never said the right words before they left or before you saw them last. Because you didn't know you needed to. Um, Linda and I have gotten kind of uh, intentional about this over the last handful of years to where there are certain things that, that we do now when we're leaving each other. Um, we always tell each other that we love each other and uh, we always embrace and we always kiss each other. Now, I have to say, because you know, I'm still who I am. I can't just not be who I am. But I will say things like, oh, yeah, I guess I was supposed to kiss you. I forgot. You know, like that, just to make sure she knows. I am remembering, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going quietly into that dark night. But, but the reason is because we've dealt with so many, so many families over the years that one of them left the house that morning and, and they didn't come back. And what does that look like? What does that sound like? You know, empty words, arguments, and all that stuff, they, they don't, they feel very empty, shallow, when real issues are happening. You know, one of the ways that we define this on social media and stuff today is um, what we call, somebody be making fun of somebody, and they say, yeah, uh, first world problems. Like, I lost my phone, and what am I going to do? My life is over. How am I going to, you know, and. And I try to remind people that are, that are younger than me, I actually have been alive during a time frame when we didn't have cell phones. I, I actually have lived in that. Cell phones didn't come around until I was an adult, mostly. And, uh, and to really process that. But you don't understand. Yeah, I know, you're, you're different than every other human. No, my life is, yeah, I know, your life is worse than any person on the planet. And I think that's part of what he's saying here is if you've got your mind right and you're really focusing on the things that you're supposed to be focusing on, then stop fighting over words. Start, stop arguing about stuff. Stop fighting over how we're going to define this or what we're going to do. And by the way, that is the epitome of uh, denominational separation. That is the epitome of it, is we're fighting over words. We're fighting over stuff. I love... I love having um, theological discussions with sincere Christians that believe differently than I do. I really like having the conversations. I've joked about this many times, but I really do appreciate um, my friend Ken DeGraff, the representative that he and I carpool together, because we're not in the same uh, theological um, arena. We're from different camps. But to really talk this through and to process it and to think about stuff, and, uh, and, and to really give honest feedback. Well, what do you think about this? What do you think? It's very enjoyable. When, there's, when you know there's no, he's not going to hate me. I'm not going to hate him. We disagree. And the only time, one time it got close is he was asking, he had asked me about how people understand the word of God and how they interpret the word of God. So I began to explain to him what I believe to be an incorrect way of approaching um, 
biblical interpretation that I had learned at Denver Seminary, which is more of the background of how he is as a Reformed. <laughs> and I was explaining this, and he sat there for a while, and I said, and that's how it's taught in seminar, seminary, and it's completely wrong. He said, oh, I'm so glad. He said, I thought you'd gone off the deep end. What does what mean? Uh, Reformed is a theological stance. It's kind of like Calvinism, but not as, um, uh, yeah, not as rigid, not as cut and dry. Yeah. So, so we were discussing, and he said, man, you were worrying me. He said, the farther you discuss this, he thought, I, does he believe this heresy? And, and I said, no, I was explaining that this is the way it's taught at seminaries. And he goes, that is taught at seminaries? I said, yeah, Reformed seminaries. He's like, really? That's what I am. I was like, yeah. Do you believe that? No. Hmm. You know, that kind of thing. But, but words, we fight and we argue and we discuss and we do all this stuff. And, and sometimes it's just words. In fact, Matthew talks about um, fighting over um, vain religious arguments. And we spend a lot of time fighting over these things, you know. That's, um, yeah, so such arguments are useless. Have you ever come to that place? As long as life is going smooth and we have the opportunity to fight over silly little things. I've seen that in the church world for years. That when things are good um, is when churches will fight the most because they're no longer are being purposeful and intentional. It's no longer about the basics. The lost need to be witnessed to. Jesus needs to change us, convict us, and draw us closer to him. And we're going to go through some suffering and sacrifice in the process. I have not taught enough about this. I am, I am talking about suffering, not really sacrifice, but suffering Sunday morning. But one of the things that I think is, is important in a Christian's walk is sacrifice. That there needs to be certain moments in life when you sacrifice for certain, for certain directions in God, for, some, for his calling, for, um, for, for the step of maturation that needs to happen, you're going to have to sacrifice something, time, energy, resources, something. And that's not really included in American gospel thinking. In fact, we've pushed that off to the side. Um, I, I've even heard when people are, when, when, when people are like uh, pastors are taking offerings and things like this, um, that pastors will say something because they're talking about giving or tithing or whatever, and they'll say, don't worry, God will never ask you to give more than you have. That's a not a true statement. Either that I'm the only person in Christianity that God has asked to give more than I have sometimes. Our, our church is full of examples of that. When God has said to you, you're going to have to really sacrifice on this one, whatever it is. And I'm not even talking solely about financial giving. I'm talking about giving of yourself. More than you have? No, sometimes God takes you way past what you think you have. Emotionally, mentally, spiritually. He takes you beyond your, your limits of what you think your limits are. Um, rationally. And, and, and even with wisdom and intelligence. 
Has God ever asked you to step into a thing, a moment, a situation, a, a job, or whatever the case is? When you get there, you're thinking to yourself, can I really do this? Do I have what it takes? Well, here's the answer. Did God send you there? Then what's the answer? You have what it takes. You may not have it yet, but he's going to make sure that you do when you need it. Right? That's, that's, I think that's one of the greatest gifts that God, at least with me, that God has done over the years. Is I'm sitting in a moment and I realize I'm praying, God, I need your wisdom because I don't know. And all of a sudden I know. You know? It's, it's, I think we've got to, to understand and learn. As a Christian, we're going to sacrifice. That's part of it. And if you're never sacrificing, I would really say take a really strong, hard look at your walk with the Lord. Because somewhere, if everything is just a nice downhill ride, something's, something's not right. You, you, you're going to have to have some challenges along the way. As human beings, we have challenges. Yes, sir. Which means at some level, to use the word sacrifice, you know, in a, in, a, in a big sense, apparently he wasn't really sacrificing, right? If, if God is accepting the sacrifice, now we've got to kind of make sure that in our minds we're not just limited to something being put on an altar. But the bigger picture of what that means within us, that's really the key. You understand that's the, the central focus of tithing? is what's going on in here. It's not what's going on there. It's what's going on here. Can you be obedient? Can you give? Can you do what God has said? Um, well, you know, God will bless me, but what if he doesn't? I, I, know this is, I know that Scripture says this. God will open the storehouses of heaven and pour out on you more than you can handle. I, I get that. But what if God didn't say that? He still has the right to say tithe. And you say, why? And he says, because I said right? And then you got to make a decision. In fact, I, I would say that a lot of the times when people are tithing with the understanding that they're going to be blessed in return, somewhere that's going to be challenged in their world, right? It's still true scripturally, but if that's the motivation, now your heart's going a different direction and God's going to address that. Um, it's, I, I spoke about this this morning, talking about humility and, and different scriptures. I mean, James and Peter and things where it says, humble yourself before the Lord, and at the right time, he will honor you or he will exalt you. But here's the tricky thing about how that sentence works, is that that's why you're humbling yourself so that you will be honored. You haven't really humbled yourself, right? You can't humble yourself expecting to be exalted someday. That's not the actual way that that works. That's the opposite. And so really, when I read the sentence, humble yourself so that you will be exalted, I just stop at humble yourself, period. I try, I try to keep out of my mind, God will exalt me or do whatever. Because why? I'll focus on that. I can't help it. I'm a human. I'll wait for him to exalt me. God, are you going to exalt me yet? I've been humble. Very. 
Ja. Ja. He gives grace to the humble. Yeah, this is why the cross is foolishness. The cross is foolishness to those who, who are not serving God. The cross is foolishness because this sounds like circular reasoning. Well, when do I get blessed? You've missed it. When is God going to do something for me? You've missed it. You don't understand it. God will take care of you if you take that off the table. If you just don't worry about that part. Don't ever bring exalting or honoring or blessing or anything up in your spirit and your mind. You're serving God because he's God. You're being a good soldier because he's God. And by the way, be, being a good soldier means you have to humble yourself. If you, if you don't believe that, uh, go to boot camp. That's what boot camp is, is to convince you that you're going to be humbled. You can do it yourself, and it'll be easier, or we'll take care of it for you. That's how you be a good soldier. That's how, that's how you be a good athlete, is you humble yourself. You do what it takes to break this person down and rebuild something. Right? All of it works together. All right, we'll, we'll stop there in verse 14. Such arguments are useless, and they can ruin those who hear them. That's, that's truth right there. You, you, can, you can be ruined by focusing on the wrong, well, just taking that, that one sentence talking about humble yourself, by just focusing on the wrong half of the sentence. You can be ruined or you can actually be humble. And you make that decision and you work toward that. So how are we going to pray? I asked my pastor in India that one time because I ask it here on Wednesday nights all the time, right? And uh, I do a lot of teaching to my to my pastor, and he he also um, he does uh, online courses, and um, and I grade those also. They're actually done through Berean, but I'm the grader. And so I asked him one time. I said, "How are we going to pray about this?" And he said, "Very seriously." <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> then that's the way we will pray. Um, he, he wasn't joking. He didn't understand what I was saying. So here's, here's some of the things I think is, Lord, teach me how to be strong in you, not in me. Which is the opposite of culture. Culture teaches us how to be strong in us. And to, to use the last sentence of the scripture, that'll ruin you. Being strong in you will ruin you. Being strong in the grace of God. And that's the key right there. That's the focus. So, all right, let's pray. God, we thank you for just loving us. Loving us more than we first can understand. Loving us more than we know. Loving us more than we can love back. Lord, lo definitely more than we deserve. God, we're, we're indebted to that and we're humbled by that. But Jesus, you are the, you're the everything. And we get to serve you. 
I get to, I get to give my life to you. Lord, thank you for that opportunity and, and help us all to do that better, to surrender ourselves more and to make it more of you and less of us regularly. God, we submit to you. Teach us to do that. Teach us to, to realize our strength and our hope and our everything is in you. It's not in us. It's in you. Lord, thank you for, for giving us these, this life to live. Lord, we don't, we don't understand the fullness of this stuff, and you haven't told us at all, but for, for some reason you chose to make me and put me here on this planet and put me in America. Lord, you chose all this stuff. You designed all this stuff, and God, I'm a amazed by this. So God, help me to be the soldier you want me to be. Help me to be the, the servant that you want me to be. Help me to follow you and not try to, 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 to do all this on my own. And Lord, help me not to just spend time arguing over useless things. But help me to, to move your kingdom forward in, in whatever way that I can. And we thank you for this. Lord, convict us, draw us in close to you, make your word amazingly powerful to us. God, I do pray also for um, uh, our kids and my wife and daughter that are at the camp this week. Help them have a great week. Save kids' souls, change their lives, fill them with your spirit. Call them into ministry. Whatever you've got planned, God, do some just big supernatural things that they, that this impacts their life forever. And then God, bring them home safely to us. Lord, cover them with your blood and bring them to us safely. God, we also um, pray for our firework stands. We pray for all the people that are working out there. Keep them all safe. Uh, let there be no negative things going on, no, no negative confrontations or any of that kind of stuff. And, uh, Lord, help us to, to, to continue to be blessed by this. You, you've amazed us over the last few years with, with what you do out there and, and just blessing our church financially and our ministries and all this stuff. So, Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for the season our church is in. We know that there's some ups and downs with, with, uh, with, with what we believe you've told us is the direction and then trying to reconcile that with banks and government in entities and things and so lord we we just acknowledge that you're in charge this is we're not the the, the leaders and the rulers you are and uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna follow you and submit to you we pray all this for your glory and in the name of your son jesus amen amen all right don't forget if you want to work um in the fireworks stand um there's a sign up in the church app uh